Let's read from Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to read through the first 14 verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on that tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, taking into account the number of people that are there. You have to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animal you choose must be year-old males without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with the bitter herbs and the bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire, with the head, the legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till the morning. If some is left till the morning, you must burn it. And this is how you to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on your household where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive, no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Well, from one of the oldest books in the Bible, Exodus, we have been looking at the story of one of God's great leaders, Moses, leader of Israel. And the people of God are in captivity. They are the descendants of Joseph, who, uh, with his technicolor coat, went to be the prime minister in Egypt. But some 350, 380 years later, the descendants of those people are now the slave labor force to the Egyptians. And Moses is born into slavery. And saved by providence from Pharaoh's order that all boy childs should be killed, and prepared for leadership by education in Pharaoh's household and by the privilege that that upbringing brought. But in God's hand, he still needed to learn. More than he learned through his education and through his privilege of family, he needed to learn character and faith in God. And uh, we see some of that, for example, in the fact that he killed a man because he was cross with him. So there's like an anger issue, (laughs) at least, to be dealt with there. And he also had to choose which of these worlds would come first in his life. Which would be the master and which would be the servant. And Hebrews 11 puts it like this. By faith, when Moses had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses chose to be a leader in the people of his birth. But still needing to learn many things and how to love God... He spent the next 40 years in the desert uh, as a sheep and a goat farmer. Now, if your ambition is to be the leader of a nation, that probably doesn't look that great on your CV. But that's what he did. He spent 40 years doing that. 
And as we heard last week, one day he has this encounter with God in the form of a bush that burns but is not consumed. God speaks to him, reveals himself to him, and gives him a commission. You are to go back to Israel. You are uh, go back to Egypt. You are to confront Pharaoh, and you are to declare that he is to set God's people free, so that they may go and have liberty to worship him. Uh, now, between last week and this week, there's a whole load of other bits. The story is very long, but uh, for your entertainment, we've got a little short video that will just bring you completely up to speed. So if you watch the video, it will give you all the information you need now. Brilliant. I worked really hard to make that video. <laughs> so that's, that's the story in between last week and this week. God sends Moses to confront Pharaoh. And because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, uh, ten plagues come upon Egypt. Uh, the first is that the Nile is turned from water into blood. Uh, the next, that uh, the frogs and mass come out of the Nile. We know what that's like. Our next door neighbours had a, a pond they drained and it was full of frogs exploding into everyone's garden. And the next plague was uh, lice or gnats, something like that. Uh, the next one, a plague of flies. The next one, uh, a plague that killed the livestock. The next one, uh, festering boils. The next one, a thunderstorm of hail and fire. By the way, if you're ever doing children's work, always volunteer for this session, you know, little cotton wool balls dripped in petrol, you know, come on kids, let's do thunder and flower, fire, who wants a festering boil, and the next one, locust, the next one, darkness, and then this final play, which is, uh, we hit, which is uh, reminded to us in the reading that we just had, uh, that there will be a death of every firstborn son. When Moses goes to Pharaoh to speak to him, Pharaoh says this, who is the Lord that I should worship him? And in a sense he's saying, give me some reasons why I should believe, or believe in your God. What is it about your God that I should find uh, worth giving my worship to? Who is your God? Um, everyone has something that they believe. Everyone believes in something. Everyone believes in some kind of God or has a belief or a focus for their life or they have a hero or an idol. Everyone has something that in some shape or form fills that place in their life. And in the passage that we've just read, we see the event that best symbolises that for the people of Israel, which is the idea of this Passover meal that they are to celebrate every year as a reminder of their heritage in Moses, that their identity as a people was formed through that. And so for, for, the, for Jewish people, uh, a key part of their identity is, is formulated in this idea of the Passover. And for Christians, a revised Passover, Holy Communion, the Last Supper, the Eucharist, bread and wine, is also a central and defining worship event 
that says something about the identity of who we are. And at the centre of the Passover meal is a lamb. Now, probably you wouldn't pick a lamb as your icon of faith. Here's a little picture. Amanda and I were on holiday uh, just after Easter, and we were walking along the river, and there were little lambs skipping, and some sitting with their mummy. There they are now. It's about two weeks ago, so they're probably in Tesco's now. <laughs> Maybe not yet. But would you pick Fluffy Larry Lamb to be the icon of your faith? And in fact, if you read through the whole Bible, you can, you can pick up a, a, a theme, a thread of this idea of the Lamb of God. And before this passage that we read, the story of Abraham. Abraham is, is going to sacrifice his son as an offering to God. And then instead God provides a, a, a lamb that he used in the place of that. This Passover meal is the sacrifice um, of a lamb. It follows through the Jewish people's history. Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God. And even if you go to the very final chapters of the Bible, the book of Revelation, then you find that even in the final chapter of the Bible, Jesus is there as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this idea of Lamb is, is one that's a thread that runs through the story of the whole Bible. Now the, the context of the Passover meal that we just read about, the, the Lamb the bread, the bitter herbs, the community meal, the blood on the doorposts, is in the context of this final plague, that the firstborn child in every family will die. If you remember the first talk in this series, you remember that, that, that Moses' own story began with a decree that every male-born child would be killed. Perhaps this plague almost revisits that original uh, thing, that, that Moses was nearly killed through the decree that every newborn boy child would be killed. Sixty years later, uh, perhaps this is what uh, God is bringing to Pharaoh. It's a reminder that what the family of Pharaoh sought to bring against God's people in killing, trying to kill Moses and killing the boy child's that were born, uh, God is bringing back a final reminder to their stubborn hearts that this is why they need to let God's people uh, go. And in the, in the story of what they're told is, will happen, they're told that as they eat this meal, putting the blood on the doorposts, staying within their homes, welcoming smaller families that may be near them, staying inside for the whole night, they're told that the destroyer the Lord the Destroyer will visit their nation. But if he sees blood over the doorframe, he will not enter their home. It speaks almost horrifically about the idea of punishment for sin. That actually there's a, there's a, there's a punishment that's coming, a, a reckoning, an accounting that's coming from God. And that they should, they should eat this meal with some degree of, of, of fear and seriousness, knowing uh, that punishment for sin is coming. It's a kind of unpopular idea. We, you know, maybe, maybe God could just forgive. Maybe God could just overlook sin. 
But actually, when we're struck by some of the most horrific things that maybe happen in society, then usually within us all is a sense of a need for justice. If you heard a story, for example, of a, of a child being murdered, and then maybe the person that did it is caught, and, and you, you see them in an interview on television or something, and you can see they're sincerely sorry. Even if you saw that, you would probably still feel there would be a need for a payment, some kind of justice to be served. And in fact, if somehow the community sort of said, well, the person's really sorry, we'll let them go, you kind of know that the payment, the justice, the destructive force of it would, would, would then pass to somebody else. It would pass to the family or it would pass to the community. Something would be wrong if that sin was not reckoned for with justice. And also it reminds us of the, the, the destructiveness of sin. That when we break God's way of living, God's commands, what God has said, then it ultimately has a destructive force on our lives. It might be in, in big things that, that can destroy our lives, or it might be just in simple things, like a few years ago when I put the wrong petrol in the car, and the, the car doesn't work then. And if you, I didn't drive it, but if you did, the, it would be destroyed, because I haven't followed the instructions. And there's something about the horror of God visiting their community with a reckoning for who they are. It's as if God has scrolled ahead in time and in one night and in one place he brings the full force of eternal judgment upon a community. Hebrews 10.31 says this, It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And did you notice that the Israelites were warned they must not go outside? The thing they were urged to do, the thing you must do, stay inside and put the blood on your doorposts. And if, and if the angel of the Lord sees the blood, he will pass over your household. Only the blood of the lamb will protect them. I mean, God could have said it in all sorts of different ways, but they are not protected because of their race, because of who, who they are the descendants of because of their tribe or their creed, who their leader is, how they live, where they live, who they are, or even that they worship God. They are protected because of the shed blood of the lamb that God provides. And also it comes with substitution. Each family has its lamb. Little Fluffy, who played in the garden, is brought in. Each lamb is killed, and probably in small communities, like it didn't happen like in the supermarket where it comes out in a little packet with a sticker on it, they would have all seen it happen. They'd have all seen that lamb sacrificed, and then it's cooked, and then they all eat that lamb later. And you could put it like this. In every family in Egypt that night, there was either a dead lamb or a dead firstborn child and they began their story as a people with the idea of a substitute sacrifice they would remember the day when death came to the firstborn child of every family except the households where God had provided a substitute 
in the form of a perfect lamb that protected them from death by its shed blood marking their homes and houses. And of course, the Christian meal, the Last Supper, the Eucharist, communion, bread and wine, is, is, is the, um, the, the revision, the update of this Passover meal. Jesus celebrates it with his disciples. Jesus takes the role as the host or the elder man who would have guided the, the people eating through the meal, would have narrated it, would have retold the story that had been told hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. So as the food's on the table, the lamb and the bitter herbs and the bread, uh, each one would have been almost like a, a, a theatre. Uh, each one would have been brought forward with its symbolic meaning, with special prayers to be said. And when Jesus took the bread and stood up, they would have all expected him to have said, this is the bread of our affliction. But instead he said, this is, the, this is my body, broken for you. Instead of saying, this is the bread of our affliction, he said, this is my body, now broken for you. When he took the cup, instead of saying, this is the cup of our affliction, he said, this is the cup of new promise for you. And of course, at their Passover, there's no lamb on the table. Maybe they've had the full Passover and the lamb has been eaten and gone, but as Jesus is speaking, there's no lamb on the table. Instead, the Lamb of God is present as Jesus speaking to them. And the, the story that we are delving into with Moses and the exodus that will come in the next session uh, as they leave Egypt, this idea of exodus, leaving, liberty, being set free by God to worship God, it is like a picture of our own Christian story. Their story and our story are almost the same story. You can imagine speaking to one of the Israelites as, as they come to be set free and delivered from Israel and, and go into, towards a promised land. And you might say to him, who are you? And his reply might be something like this. I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death and bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. Our mediator led us out and we crossed over. We are now on the way to the promised land and though we are not there yet, he is with us. And he has given us his living word to make us a community. He has given us a tabernacle so that we can live with grace and forgiveness and he is present in our midst and will stay with us until we arrive home. And that's exactly how a Christian might describe their story in Jesus. And as we look at the sweep of the Bible and the story of the Old Testament flowing into the New Testament, we find that Jesus comes to us in the same way that Moses came to those people of Israel. He provides the ultimate escape. Forget Bear Grylls. It's Jesus who is the one that rescues and gets us out of the difficult spaces. Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses points to Jesus. Hebrews 11 says this, By faith the people of God passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do it, they were drowned. So the Egyptians drowned because they didn't have faith. This faith 
is what rescued God's people then. And faith in Jesus, our Moses, our deliverer, is what rescues us now. And so when we read this story of these people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people years ago, we are reading uh, a, a preliminary of our story, our experience with Jesus. Uh, our Jesus is our Moses-type deliverer. And in fact, if you read the Gospel of Luke, one of the things that Luke does with his Gospel is deliberately picks up the themes of the Exodus. He tells his evangelistic version of the story of what Jesus said and did in such a way that we see it as echoing Moses' deliverance of God's people all those years ago. And then the story is finally updated, maybe with John the Baptist. When John the Baptist sees Jesus, in John 1.29 it says this, He saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As we continue to look through this story of Moses, it's not just history, it's, it's a prequel to our story in Jesus. As we understand Moses and how God used him with God's people, we actually see light in how Jesus is with us. Let me finish by reading that statement of faith that I wrote, uh, thinking of this story. I was a foreigner in an alien land under the sentence of death and bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb, and my mediator, Jesus, has led me out and helped me to cross over. And I am now on the way to the promised land. And though I am not there yet, he has given me his living word so that we might form a new community. He has given us a place to worship so that we can live by grace and forgiveness. And he is present in our midst so that he will stay with us until he takes us home. Amen. Oh,